In this edition of Pussology, Justin and Matt review the Netflix documentary The Redeem Team. The film follows the story of the 2008 U.S. Olympic men's basketball team and how the Redeem Team set a new standard for American basketball. Both hosts give background on the film, the role Kobe Bryant played on the team, the chemistry of the athletes on the squad, and our final rating of the film. Then stay tuned as we have a special interview with the director of the documentary, John Weinbach. Please email your questions to hoopsologypod at gmail.com and follow us on all of our social media platforms. Subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. You can follow us on Twitter through at hoopsologypod, Instagram at hoopsologypod, Justin's Twitter at JustinTime16, and Matt Thomas' Twitter page at at the trainers take. And now our review of the Redeem Team. Welcome to another episode of Hoopsology. I am Justin Goodrum, joined by Matt Thomas. What's up, man? Not much, man. Special episode doing a documentary review. Really excited to do this. We don't have near enough content like this. We will add to that library, and this will be a great addition for us reviewing the Redeem Team documentary. I'm doing great, man. I'm excited for this. How are you? I'm doing fantastic, and yeah, and... A special thank you to Netflix for hooking us up with a special screener of this documentary and lining up an interview with the director of the film, John Weinbach. Uh, we had John on the show, what, about a couple of years ago? A year ago? Two years mm-hmm. ago? Something yeah. like that? Talking yeah, about, about The Last Dance. And he has returned um, to get his perspective of the creative process of making the Redeem Team documentary. So you can check that out. Everybody do the point in YouTube videos. So it's here or here. <laughs> but um, you'll see that link in the videos. You can go check that out. Um, it's a great interview with John, just him explaining how he has made this incredible film. So let's get into it, man. And I'll just give us some background regarding the film. Um, it's available on Netflix now as of this recording. So go check it out. Um, this follows the story of the 2008 U.S. Olympic men's basketball team and how the Redeem team set a new standard for American basketball. Documentary's 98 minutes. Pretty easy to go through. Check out this roster, man. So this is the roster of the team here. So it's Carlos Boozer, Jason Kidd, LeBron James, Darren Williams, Michael Redd, Dwayne Wade, Kobe Bryant was the captain, Dwight Howard, Chris Bosh, Chris Paul, Tayshawn Prince, and Carmelo Anthony, with the head coach being Coach K, Mike Krzyzewski, with assistant coaches being Jim Beheim, Nate McMillan, and Mike D'Antoni. So a pretty loaded roster there. Just some background that I'm heading into this review. Absolutely. So, you know, we do have a little bit of bias in that we're friendly with John. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, we're still going to give you guys a, a fair, well-thought-out review. Um, but, yeah, I do want to give him a shout-out and, and say thank you to For Netflix sure. as, yes. and everyone involved. Um, and, and I think um, – it'd be good to kind of set the stage here in terms of the timeline of events of the film. So I'll, I'll go through that just briefly. I, I think the film does a great job in covering a lot of international basketball history, specifically Olympic basketball history in a short amount of time to set this up. Uh, you know, they could have really, really drawn it out, but you get events dating back to 1972 Um in, in terms of the Olympic Games in Munich, where Team USA, of course, lost to uh, the Soviet Union, kind of sets up events leading to eventually the formation of 
the Dream Team in 1992. We've talked about that on our channel before. We definitely have Dream Team content, so you can look that up. But, I mean, were you born under a rock? Of course, you know about the 92 Dream Team, arguably the greatest team ever assembled. Um, so, talks about the 92 Dream Team a bit. Talks about how the climate changed after 9-11, causing the pool of talent to shrink um, for the 2004 Olympics team, which played in Athens. And as you all know, this 2008 team is the redeemed team because that 2004 team did lose. Um, they, you know, maybe were a little bit unfair to Larry Brown. We can talk about that a little bit later, uh, but really, really kind of made a point that it was time for a coaching change. Um, they get Coach K and they did a good job also before we get into our next topic of showing the growth of the game of basketball from the international perspective as well. You see footage from NBA drafts and you can see, um, you know, so a little bit of the ignorance of international talent and international names and just how to pronounce them. You see, uh, I believe Adam Silver and David Stern, both mispronouncing names, uh, Gino Beely, you know, Ginobili, or Paul Gasol, Paul Gasol, uh, Paul Gasol, excuse me, there I go. Um, so you see a little bit of that, but you see the game grow. And mention they get Coach K, that's certainly a big part of this documentary we can touch on in a bit. But the real turning point, and one of the big points that I wanted to cover with you, Justin, and get your thoughts on right now, is they bring in Kobe Bryant. And Kobe Bryant is maybe the Superman to LeBron's Batman, or I don't know, I'm not super educated on Justice League lore, but Kobe is probably Superman if, if Superman's the head honcho. What are your thoughts on Kobe Bryant in this documentary? Was, was he overused? What was your thought on just that, the Kobe content we got? I thought he was fantastically used. And in the interview you hear with John, I think he was shocked of my language of referring to Kobe as godlike. But I think through the film, I think a lot of the players, the way they view Kobe is different than, than any of their peers. I think when he walked in, he had a certain era about him. And I think I disagree with John because I think he said it was more like a big brother relationship, which I feel that's partly true. But just the reverence they had, I mean, they, they tell the story, and I mention it when talking to him, all the uh, – the team, they're going out, they're partying, they're drinking. They come back around 4 a.m. There's Kobe getting up. He's working out. And through the film, you see players one by one starting taking up Kobe's workout routine where there's like the whole team, except Carmelo Anthony. He was pretty funny. He was like, ah, I ain't doing that. <laughs> I'll see you at <laughs> breakfast and then afterwards I'll go work out with you. I thought that was hilarious. Um, but <laughs> I think with, with Kobe, just the, the work ethic, his passion to win – and I love the hesitancy of the players at first because, remember, Kobe was going through a lot of turmoil. I mean, prior yeah. to that team, he was the, the guy who ran Shaq out. He's the guy who's selfish. He's just, he's just a terrible teammate in terms of how the media was describing him. And his other peers were hesitant in terms of how that's going to mold with Team USA. And I think him coming in there and really – it really you saw kind of the transformation within him. I think that really started the metamorphosis within Kobe Bryant because 
you know, this team's more reference about the big three, but it was also really a transformation for Kobe in terms of his perception with not only the media, but with fans. So I just don't have to be long-winded, but I thought the way he's portrayed was fantastic through the film for sure. Yeah. And I, I think they did a good job of balancing that reality of at the time, as you said, you know, Kobe was under fire. Kobe was coming off of requesting a trade, like you said, all the personal things in his life, very, very controversial, was a huge turning point for him. And and that's no small thing to a guy who is arguably the greatest in his specific generation, you know, following Jordan. And one of my favorite stories, I, I'm a strength and conditioning coach, uh, if you guys didn't know. Um, and one of the best stories I've heard that just pumps me up as, as a coach personally is a story you guys can look this up online of Kobe's strength and conditioning coach talking about working with him in the 2008 Olympics and getting to see firsthand just how impressed this strength and conditioning coach is with Kobe Bryant's work ethic. Like I said, um, Kobe, I think, stayed up late shooting practice um, and um, got up early with the strength and conditioning coach. I don't remember the time frame exactly, but something crazy, like after, you know, getting maybe four hours of sleep, gets up, does some shooting practice, asks the coach to meet him down there. Coach figured they'd meet at the same time. Kobe's already there shooting. They get a workout in at like 3 a.m. Coach goes back, says, all right, we'll see you for breakfast. Figures Kobe is going to go back to bed and get some rest. The coach does comes back. Kobe is in there lifting weights. You know, now it's like five or 6 AM. So he's been training this whole time. Anyway, I'm paraphrasing. You can Google that story to get the specifics of it. But my long winded point being, I agree with you. This documentary does a great job of showing that Mamba mentality as it is at different parts too. You have Kobe ramming into Pau Gasol uh, when they first meet against Spain in 2008 so really does a good job of building up Kobe Bryant's legacy. You might say it's almost too shining, but I, I think it did a good job of bringing up some of those criticisms of Kobe as well. Yeah, and I just love that the scene where it's the preliminary match is the first matchup they have with Spain where Kobe, he's just like, I'm just going to annihilate Pau Gasol <laughs> on the first play. And the other players are like, damn, this guy's serious. He's like, you got to do that to his teammate. I, I love that scene. I think that's pure Kobe. And that sets the tone for the rest of Team USA through the Olympics. I think that's fantastic, just the, the way they told that story. And, and them having Pau as well in the documentary, I think that was critical, critical as well. Yeah, yeah, it was great to see. And you know what? Um, thinking through this – one of the things I did take a note on, because it was it was actually my favorite part of Kobe in this documentary, and I don't think it'll be talked about very much, is also the humility and respect that he showed to other Olympians and other teams Agreed. that they were playing against. He Agreed. had this great quote in there where he says, look, these, these guys came ready. These guys are our opponents. These guys worked as hard as we did to get here and just talks about respecting them as athletes as, as well. And also how his admiration grew by going and attending events at a certain point in the documentary, all the players are at different events, you know, gymnastics, swimming, all these different classic summer games events uh, that we all know and love. Um, so that was really cool to see anything else on Kobe, Justin. 
Uh, no, you pretty much covered it. I, I think the way he was portrayed, it was this. You see the influence. You know, you see why so many players were affected so harshly when he passed. And yeah. I think this this documentary is a great microcosm of that for sure. Yeah, he he definitely. It's it's a great tribute to Kobe that is Agreed. within this documentary. Um, the other thing that I think is is huge that we get to see in this documentary a bit is the more friendly attitude with players, you know, once they are all together, once they kind of get Kobe to warm up to them a little bit, they get Kobe laughing, but you see the interaction between like the banana boat crew, so to speak. um, And especially the big three in Miami, you know, controversially. So eventually um, you get a lot of interview footage from LeBron you get a lot of footage from Wade and Chris Bosh as well. Um, so I, I think one thing that I understand why they didn't cover it, but maybe I would have liked to see pronounced a little bit more in this documentary was what this led up to in terms of the Miami Heat uh, being formed. Now, granted, it is off topic. They're talking about the Redeem team specifically. So it's not a huge criticism on my part, but the face of the NBA was forever changed from this redeem team specifically. Uh, I feel you, but I think like you were saying that the point of the documentary was redemption and for charting sure. this team, really two themes. One, the international basketball community has caught up to the United States and two, just the players on this team realizing the importance of representing your, your country and not only the Olympics, but international play as a whole. And so the banana boat kind of situation, I get it. I think you probably could have put a mention at the end, I think maybe, but I think the whole documentary is more about just, you know, chasing redemption and not taking for granted the game, you know, basketball is it's, it's international now. So um, I think there probably could have been a way to incorporate, you know, the ramifications of this team to the NBA, uh, but they probably would have been pretty slick about it. Yeah, and I guess the way to, the way I might frame it, rather than how I said it, is um, just in a way that impacts how important this team was, not only in the moment, redeeming the country, but also changing the face of the NBA as a whole. So I don't necessarily even mean it as um, completely like a negative context or anything Mm. like that. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I think, you know, you have limited time to work with. That's that's tough to get in there. Um, So I I think that's fair. I, I mean... I even I take back saying like criticism of it. I, I think mm. it's just something that, you know, we we should keep in mind about the Redeem team is this was a hugely impactful team uh, yeah. in terms of the scope of the history of the NBA mm. as well. Uh, so let's move on. I, I have a lot more I want to cover before we wrap up this interview. And we do want to keep it kind of brief. So did you like the documentary overall? Uh, so I guess thumbs up, thumbs down, or if you want to do like a however many out of five stars, whatever yeah. you're feeling for this. And then also if you have any criticisms for it, and I'll give yeah. you mine. I got a hot take. So I like this documentary better than The Last Dance. Hmm. And remember, I was pretty critical. Hot take. Pretty critical of The Last Dance. Now, I gave it a B. I think it's it's great. I think it's, you know, it's – significance now i think the pandemic everything it's huge it's if you're a if you're 
just a, a fan trying to get into basketball for the first time. I think The Last Dance is fantastic to get into. I have plenty of criticisms. And maybe I'm biased just due to my fandom of the Chicago Bulls. But I thought this documentary was swift, yeah. moved quickly, had an objective, had so many heartful moments. I thought the interviews, to me, Carmel Anthony, great in this documentary. I thought um, Kobe, the footage that they got from him was fantastic also. And LeBron, who knew this guy was a prankster? <laughs> like, this guy's a comedian. <laughs> Like I had no idea in terms of his sense of humor and just him and Kobe, that dynamic. No idea. So all that and I think just seeing its path through it, um, I thought it was fantastic. Because I think a lot of documentaries, my criticism is that it jumps too much around. Like it doesn't really have a objective. It just kind of shows kind of historical facts. It doesn't have really a narrative. And I thought with this documentary, a great narrative. You just saw, hey, you know, the sense of pain that this team went through in terms of not losing in the, you know, 2004 Olympics, but also in international competition too, even when Coach K came on. And just seeing them having to, you know, learn from those mistakes and then, you know, prevail in the Olympics. So I thought it was um, fantastic. Uh, criticisms? Hmm. Um... I thought LeBron, I thought he was pretty wooden through his interview, and I don't know yeah. if it was him yeah. or the way that they're asking him questions. I just thought there was should have been more authenticity through him because, you know, we see it through uninterrupted all the time through the shop. So he's just brutally honest, honest there. So we didn't get that in this documentary. Um, I think that's my primary criticism is just kind of, you know, his authenticity – in the film itself. I just thought he had a very serious vibe compared to the other um, people in the doc. They were very laid back and loose throughout it. I think that's well said. I, I agree with just about every point you made there. So you gave Last Dance a B. Are you giving this one an A, B plus? B Where plus. are we going with that? B right, plus. B plus. Yeah. I, I feel you on that. And I think I agree. I, I think the downfall of the last dance if you love the bulls like you said it's it's great you're in heaven yes, of course but it it has a little bit more time spent on it than it needs to like you said i i totally agree this is tighter this is crisper gets to the point tells a good story of this team sets a good background gives you a lot of relevant information through there shows you a lot of that behind the scenes footage that we want to see as basketball fans. So I'm with you. I'm feeling about a B plus it. It's going to be really hard to rate anything in the a range <laughs> just for you and I both as sure. critics. Yeah. Um, so I think B plus is, is a big compliment. I would certainly tell any basketball fan. Yes. Go watch this. 100%. Um, definitely worth the watch so not taking uh anything away from it as far as that goes and i i'm with you on the lebron scenes i i felt like they didn't really add anything to it like i was I, disappointed I found myself yeah. wanting more from the guys that you mentioned like mellow good yeah. wade good bosh great always funny and entertaining um carlos boozer and I, I thought yeah. coach k yeah. as well had some some great moments in this, you know, he's a guy you mentioned like Wooden describing LeBron James. He's a guy that very much seems that way. And and that's a guy that's done 
probably hundreds of thousands of press conferences, interviews at, at this point. So it's understandable, but you get, you get a little bit more of the character of the locker room coach K in this, which is kind of cool to see. Um, so that would be my criticism as well is unfortunately LeBron doesn't really shine. What does shine is the footage that you mentioned of like LeBron in practice, those moments there, Um, you know, he and Kobe Bryant being the 2008 version of MJ and magic Johnson on that 92 um, dream team. So with that uh, we've given you guys kind of our, our thoughts on it, our rating on it, definitely go see it. If, if you got Netflix, who doesn't have Netflix, get on there and watch it. It's worth the just over hour and a half time frame that it's going to cost you. Uh, actually a good 98 minutes there that you'll spend watching TV. Um, with that, you know, one of the things that stuck out to me in thinking about the 92 dream team and the 2004 team gets upset. Well, that's only 12 years, it turns out. Yeah. So so we have this, like, our pros are invincible. <laughs> and it only took 12 years for us to get embarrassed in, in the international game. Um, what are your thoughts after watching this specifically? Was there anything from this that informs or maybe changes your opinion of Team USA moving forward? Not really, because I think, you know, if you're a fan of basketball now, look who's the top five players in the league. I mean, top two, it's Giannis and it's Luka. So I I think, you know, that is unheard of in terms of, you know, an American not being the face of the league. And it Rossi, mm-hmm. top three with the Joker. <laughs> yeah. With Jokovic. So point. you have three guys right there that, you know, they're fairly popular within the NBA fan base and they're not American. So I think that tells you right there the rate that the international game is caught up. And I just ultimately hope that the sense of entitlement is removed. I just don't like the fact that, like, hey, if the U.S. loses, somehow the game of basketball is, like, besmirched or disgraced. Like, basketball was invented in Canada. Like, let's <laughs> keep it real here. Like, I just feel overall, like, it's okay eventually if the U.S. loses to another team. It's going to happen. I mean, it is inevitable, and it's it's going to happen where the U.S. will be fully prepared. They're going to have a full, you know, training camp. Everything's going to go well, or they're going to get destroyed by whatever team. It's going to happen, um, and it's not going to be anything in terms of the U.S. being an embarrassment or those guys on the team being a disgrace to their country. They just got outplayed by a better international team. I think that's what we're seeing. Just the competition is leveling up, and I just think that's the evolution of the game. And I think that's what the dream team wanted. I think wasn't that the whole point of you know of you know them going over there and well, that was David Stern's point. Yeah, for David sure. points for sure. And I think the players <laughs> and somewhat the players too. I mean, they they felt ambassadors to the game of basketball, and I think Kobe as well in terms of spreading you know the love of the game. And I think and I think we're seeing the evolution now in terms of the athletes that we see every night that we're going to see, you know, in the beginning of the season here. Yeah, I think what I would what I would question, what I would point to, I, I think it is still a big deal. I, I think Team USA has a target on its back. Sure. If we're playing of against course. Greece. One hundred percent. Giannis wants to get that on on yeah. as a notch on his belt, so to speak. Yeah. For his career, Luca, same thing. Mm-hmm. Any of these, um, you know, assassins on these other teams that yeah. are great players, they mm-hmm. want this as a notch on their belt. I don't get the sense 
from even players in this documentary. You you see how inspired they are by the, the at one point they have, I believe it was a general that came in and talked to them about events in Iraq and just soldiers, what they have sacrificed in the past for this country, um, things along that line to really inspire them. And and it does, it, it affects them. And they talk about that to their credit. I'm, I'm glad that they uh, showed that in this documentary. Um, it, it seems like this is going to go in waves is kind of my prediction. And with it only taking 12 years after the 92 Dream Team was defeated, it's going to happen again and it's going to happen more frequently, especially now when the narrative around Team USA, you have owners like Mark Cuban saying, no, I don't want you to go play in international play. I believe he told Dirk Nowitzki, um, you know, just directly. Like, I, I don't think he forbid him to play, but like, no, if I'm being honest, I don't want you to play. And it makes sense from a business standpoint. He wants to protect his own product, his own asset, so to speak, with his player. It's going to be the same thing um, for any NBA star. They're going to have that pressure. And if Team USA is relying most heavily on stars from the NBA, there's going to be erosion. You also have more and more conversation nowadays, and you can have any opinion on it that you want, but the narrative that we covered on this show is that this is this is like a big chore is kind of how it's it's looked like. And I don't know that it continues to have quite frankly, that sense of like honor in representing your country. Now, some of that is players don't want to get that backlash if they lose too. That's fair. Sure. But in any case, I think what you have is this cycle of we lose all of a sudden public interest is heightened. Everyone cares about it a little bit more. You have motivation to be on that next redeem team 2.0 or whatever. We get complacent. And then it happens again. And then to your point, Justin, to wrap this up, I, I think we do get to a point where the game expands enough internationally that there is more parity in the international game. Um, any other thoughts in closing or, or any responses to any of that? <laughs> no, I feel you. I think overall what's going to be fascinating to see is – owners restricting players and then with these fascination of prospects that we're seeing now on social media i think compared to you know 10 20 years ago a lot of basketball fans they're very compelled about you know look at you know victor Wimpenyama, right like this guy sure. you know he's playing in france and yep. these guys this these guys games are not available you know every night and you can see his highlights on YouTube and social media. And that, that's excitement. That's something that we didn't have, you know, 10, 20 years ago. Guys, you know, overtime elite, those games being available. Or just, you know, your top NBA stars that may be restricted, you may get, you know, your top prospects playing in this international play. It may be compelling to watch as well. So I think that's going to be a very interesting dynamic how that plays out in the future. Absolutely. Well, that is our review for Redeem Team. You can watch it again on Netflix, and we thank them. And we thank John Weinbeck for joining yes. the show. Again, you can check out that interview. We want to know your guys' thoughts, too. So get at us on social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. If you've watched this, let us know your thoughts about it, your criticisms. What did you like about it? What did you not like about it? We will be back 
with content all season long. So make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel, subscribe to our podcast for the full interview clips and beyond bonus episodes, etc. Got a lot of activity, a lot of content coming from you this season. I'm Matt Thomas. He's Justin Goodrum. Yep. Thanks as always. Anything else, Justin? Uh, email us at hoopsologypod at gmail.com uh, with your comments as well. He is the director of the film The Redeem Team, which tells the story of the 2008 men's basketball team's journey to win the gold medal, which will stream on Netflix October 7th. We welcome back John Weinbach onto Hoopsology. How's it going, John? Hey, how you doing? Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming back to the show. Really appreciate it. Really excited to talk about this new, this new film you have coming up. Because I, I remember this time specifically, not only in the world of basketball, but sports in general. So the first question I want to ask you, just setting the tone for the story of this of the 2008 men's Olympic basketball team, can you kind of set the tone in terms of 2004 during that Olympics in terms of they won the bronze medal, but kind of in the basketball world that's considered absolute failure. Can you kind of chased the journey of that team to 2008 and what the pressure was mounting on that 2008 team to redeem, you know, <laughs> the title of the movie, redeem kind of, yeah. you know, U.S. men's basketball team in the whole. Well, look, I think you can go even further back. I mean, the, the reality is, is when you play basketball for the United States on the international stage, you're expected not just to win, to be perfect. And then Coach K says it in our film, you know, when you play for the U.S. team, you're expected to be perfect. Think about that. I mean, that's a yeah. quite different bar than just winning a championship. You cannot lose, you know? And so, you know, up until basically 1988, you know, every Olympics there had been basketball, with the exception of one, which we cover in our film as well, in 1972, every single other Olympics that we participated, we won gold. And then in 88, it changed. The Soviets beat a team of college players. And that was the first sort of awakening. And then we sent, you know, then became the era of the dream team and send me NBA players and we dominated. And then by 2000, really two was the first other big wake up call, which we actually don't follow in the film, but we finished, the United States finished seventh at the world championships, mm -hmm. lost to wow. Argentina, lost to Yugoslavia, yeah. lost to Spain. Um, and so it was like, okay, we got to get our act together for 2004, but we didn't really change anything. And I think some, some, some elements in the world changed not just in basketball but it was a sort of an uncertain time for the united states in the world it's yeah. launched these wars in iraq and afghanistan there was a sense that we were sort of an unwelcome guest in the world and there was fears of terrorism and and sort of the bloom was off the rose to play for the united states i mean if you can only if, if all you can do is be blamed for not winning enough that's not very it's not very appealing thing to play for so that leads into 04 and we to put it mildly get our asses kicked in 04 and so <clears throat> that created this whole, you know, wake up call to, we have to re-examine not just the, the, the way the team plays, but maybe the culture of team USA basketball. And so that was when coach K was brought in. That was when Jerry Colangelo assumed control of the national team program. And it became a program, not just a group of guys brought together for a couple of weeks before the Olympics and roll the balls out and win a gold medal. And so all of that context, the history of U.S. basketball on the international stage, the specificity of what America was going through at that time, the specificity of the challenges to American basketball internationally, playing the playing a role in hey, what are they redeeming? It's not just that they had they lost and they had to win again. It was all of those elements, and then add to that 
sort of specific arcs for the guys on that team, whether it was LeBron, whether it was Dwayne Wade, whether it was Kobe, whether it was Carmelo, Coach K, Colangelo, even Doug Collins, you know, comes around. You brought up Kobe, and I think one of the more, more profound things about the film is Kobe's influence on that team in so many levels. Just doing your research and just conducting the interviews, the other players, you know, Carmelo, Dwayne Wade, LeBron, does Kikak give context to how they viewed Kobe, not only as just a teammate, but just kind of like almost like, I, in my opinion, Kirby from Ron, kind of like a borderline godlike figure? Like, it's just revered, like so much like... He's so respected and everything. I think there was a scene in terms of when they're playing Spain and the, the first play of the game is, you know, Kobe running through Pau Gasol, like destroying him. Um, and the other players being like, man, I didn't know he was going to do that. And LeBron saying, man, we're going to destroy Spain now. Just seeing that play. They just The respect level is different with Kobe than anybody else on that team. Can you kind of sit at the stage of like what, what that was like, you know, doing your research in terms of Kobe's influence? Yeah, I mean, you have to also remember the time period we're talking about, right? Yeah. So all of those guys, it was a primary, uh, predominantly very young team, yeah. right? So, you know, LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Carmelo all are in the same draft class. Chris Paul's a little bit younger. Chris Bosh, I think, might also be that same class or a little bit younger. And so um, it was a, pre- a predominantly young team. And it wasn't like Kobe was old, but he was, sure. you know, yeah. he was 30 in 2008. And he was, uh, you know, some might argue unquestionably, but probably the unquestionably the best player in the NBA, but really at a remove from not only his own teammates on the Lakers, but really kind of from some of those other guys who were his, you know, talent contemporaries. And um, so when they, when the decision was made to bring him in, you know, it was, a huge thing in terms of, hey, could this work? Could could Kobe coexist well with these guys? Would they accept him? Would he accept them? The answer obviously was a resounding yes, but but it's a kind of a fascinating portrait in team building and ego management and how do you create a shared ag- agenda for people who may not have one? And, um, and I think, you know, godlike figure, certainly big brother, Death certainly thing. taskmaster, Certainly team captain. I think all of those uh, labels apply. Um, and, you know, um, that's, that is really, uh, you're not wrong. I mean, obviously, we felt an enormous responsibility to, to tell the story well um, and to, to, you know, show that impact, which was real and really, you know, meaningful. And just want to ask you, just with conducting your interviews, I noticed after that 2008 Olympics, just the work ethic of a lot of those players, I think they said like the work ethic changed after seeing Kobe. Um, did you get any specific anecdotes in terms of just seeing how Kobe prepared his, just, you know, his workout routines, like anything, any kind of personal stories that you were talking to the, the teammates of Kobe that they picked up that they carry on even to this day after that Olympics? Well, I think they, they called it the Breakfast Club, right? Which was in, in Vegas when they would they have their sort of almost quarantine, not quarantine, but they were sort of all together for almost a month um, every summer, 06, 07, 08, uh, in preparation for the Olympics. And, you know, there's a great section in the film, or I think it's a, it's a great section of the film where the guys are coming back from like a night in the clubs in Vegas and they walk in the hotel and who's there at like five in the morning? Kobe in his workout gear. Um, and Kobe was... A, 
brilliant in 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 so many ways but you know in that he understood what it meant for these guys to see him that way whether they were going to be with him was on their terms but he won he was going to do it and is that classic you know showing by example and i think more than anything that set in motion or that you know set this the model the template for going to play for the united states national team you know Kobe's not, it's not, Kobe's there at five in the morning. Well, if Kobe's there at five in the morning, well, I got to be there at five in the morning. And so, you know, there's nothing like, we all kind of have our elders. You know, when you're a freshman in high school, you look sure. at the senior who's a captain and you're like, oh my God, whatever he does, I'm going to do. And so that dynamic was at play and you you couldn't pull any BS because yeah. that guy's not going to stand for it. Um, and so that set a model for how a team of superstars is going to work. And so that that is, I think, the, the big, biggest thing they all took from it. It was just like, hey, if Kobe's doing it, I got to be in there doing it too. What surprised you about making this film? What, in terms of before you you got into the planning stages to when you were uh, making just making this documentary, was there anything that really surprised you? You're like, man, I was not expecting that when you were conducting your interviews. Um, you know, I don't want to say I'm surprised at. At the, you know, grace, humor, emotion, I was just, it was so rewarding as a someone who do, does this for a living and loves sports and loves storytelling and, uh, you know, enjoy the interview process. You know, I would say the grace, candor, humor, authenticity, emotion, affection for this topic that each of these guys had almost without exception. Um, was really surprising. I mean, like I said, surprising is almost the wrong word. Uh, just rewarding. I think on the surprising thing is just some of the footage discoveries. I mean, some of these elements had been, I, I, some of the elements had never before seen, but some have been seen, but overlooked and sort of only available if you hunt and peck on YouTube. And I think getting some of the raw footage of Coach K was a real joyful surprise because, you know, he can be profane, he can be funny, he can be self-deprecating. Um, and you don't always, you know get that because coach k is you know this icon of, of he's like the modern day not like he's the modern day you know john wooden sure um and you know i would say on his interview um the doubts that he expressed about his own ability wow. to to connect with those guys he's like you know i'd had a lot of success in the college realm but <laughs> nba is different you know and so you know that was in his mind of hey i've got to show these guys that i'm not that guy i'm this guy and so all of those elements were really, really fascinating and, and why I think, you know, if we've done our job right, uh, what I hope people take away is it's kind of this fascinating portrait of team building. To that point with Coach K, do you know what steps he took when, you know, meeting his, you know, his team for the first time? You just mentioned it was apprehension. Was there any kind of additional preparation that he took to kind of create that that bond between him and, you know, his team sort of speaks. I think all those guys, I mean, they have such a huge respect for Coach K even before they got on the team, but still, you know, there's a melding of personalities that has to take place. So did Coach K um, kind of take any unusual steps that he wouldn't take normally at Duke to kind of, you know, increase that camaraderie, sort of speak? I can't speak to what he did differently from what he does at Duke or did at Duke, but sure. um, I think, you know, it would have been, I think, a very different dynamic if Coach K had been the coach of the dream team. Sure. Because the dream team players, I don't know that that would have worked with them because they are all 
came of age at a time before they knew Coach K as Coach K. All of the guys, remember Kobe had been recruited by Coach K. Yeah. And so he was going to go to Duke had he not gone pro. So all of the guys on the Redeem team, they knew Coach K as the champion, as this guy. So in a certain kind of way, he was Switzerland. You know, he wasn't an NBA coach who might have an agenda and didn't like a guy because of a playoff series. So he, he could operate clean in that kind of way. But, you know, I think he's a winner for a reason, you know, master motivator. And I think that he's he is who he is. You know, he's a child of immigrants. He's a guy who went to West Point and he served in the military you know, he, and, and, and played point guard for the army, you know, and so when it could easily come off as super cheesy and false, bringing in army guys, yeah. you know, who there's maybe no organic connection to the players, but it's coach K and, and, and he, he lived that and he knew those guys. And so, and, and, you know, when it comes to patriotism, you know, that, that was a real thing for him. This was, like I said, you know, I think it's either child or grandchild of immigrants. And, um, you know, his name is his name. People don't know how to pronounce his name. It's a very kind of uniquely American experience. And so um, all of those things, I think, worked. And I think from a specific motivational thing, he was there to say, hey, look, we can't be arrogant. We, the United States, we literally to the language of it. Stop calling it our game. It's not our game. It's the world's game. Sure. You know, and how many times have we heard that oh, it's our game and we're the Americans and you know it's our game? No, it's not. The game was invented by a Canadian and it's played all over the world. <laughs> you know? So um, the you know that all those things were very authentic and I think worked because you know he had legitimacy from a certain point of view, but also it didn't come off as artificial. Um, I want to ask you about uh, LeBron, Dwayne Wade, and Chris Bosh, and um, it was. It's- it's been widely known that the Redeem team has been one of the catalysts in terms of the uh, big three forming in Miami. Can you kind of um, tell us, just we've checking out the footage, just, did you see the signs of chemistry between the two of them, like their bond forming in terms of carrying that success that they had from the Olympics into the NBA? Um, well, there's no direct connection <clears throat> between the, the Beijing success and the banana boats of Miami. <laughs> um, I mean, Yes, was it a formative experience for them? Of course. I don't think, to the best of my knowledge, and I asked Dwayne Wade about this and and Chris as well, <clears throat> it wasn't like they were plotting in the rooms of Beijing. Okay, in two years, we're going to sign together and go to Miami. I mean, I think that's sort of fanciful thinking. Um, but I think, you know, all things have an, have, have an impact. And when you have a really transformative experience with anyone together and then you're later presented with an opportunity to repeat that well you're going to be more likely to do it so i think did it make it happen no in other words did did the beijing experience literally make the miami heat you know super team happen no did it contribute to it because it gave all these guys a really nice feeling inside about playing with one another of course but I don't think there was, yeah. they were not plotting in Beijing to re-up with Miami in two years. Gotcha. It wasn't some kind of big master plan. No, there was no like master plan. Yeah. <laughs> um, one more question for you. We were talking about Kobe earlier, and I think this is very interesting because his influence in China is is massive. He, he's such an icon over there. 
did you discover just um, while while making the film? Just you know, the you know China of course is going to root for their team, but at the same time they revere Kobe so much. So what was kind of that dynamic? Did you discover anything with the Chinese fans in terms of maybe their loyalties being split? You know, you know, in terms of you know, when they played or you know, look I, the the one of the interesting things just again you know passage of time um, with the film is you know what a different world we live in. Right. I mean, the 2008 Olympics were like the big coming out party for China and like opening their arms to the world. Right. Couldn't be more different from the way we are now. And and so that was kind of interesting. Um, and, you know, as to why Kobe was so big in China, you know, I don't know the market specifics. I mean, I think it had to do with he was going to China just earlier than some of the other guys with Nike even I think as far back as when he was still with Adidas. So there was the, that connectivity and he was a champion. I mean, I, I don't know the individual, why was he so much bigger than LeBron or whatever? I mean, they had a lot to do with winning sure. and, um, and his shoe and the way the efforts that Nike made and, and Kobe's, you know, um, you know, just the, the champion mentality, but you know, he was clearly massive, you know, there. And, and there's a really, you know, I think Dwayne Wade says, he goes, you know, when you're with the Olympic team, you know, it's a big deal. Like some players are more popular than others, but you know, we're the Olympic team. Like when we got to China, it was Kobe, Kobe, Kobe. <laughs> and, and it's interesting. I, as this Olympics project, we, we uh, Olympic series was telling you about, um, we had done several films with the IOC, one of which was on a Chinese volleyball icon. And, and when we did interviewed her, she said, you know, who's biggest, bigger than any, than my, anyone, even bigger than Michael Jordan it was Kobe. And so, um, you know, I don't know. I don't know what the dynamics were there, but he was massively popular. John, thank you very much for joining the show. Really appreciate it. Please let our viewers and listeners know where you can find you on social media. Um, Again, when the film comes out, any other upcoming projects as well that you want to plug also. Thank you. Um, Well, uh, uh, I'm now the president of Skydance Sports. Uh, We're very excited about a series coming to Amazon, to Prime Video in November on the U.S.-Mexico soccer rivalry um, called Good Neighbors. Um, And we will have a feature film inspired by actually a a documentary that I co-directed on Sonny Vaccaro called Soul Man, but it's going to be a feature film. Don't know the title yet, but it's going to be on the origin story of the Air Jordan brand, uh, directed by Ben Affleck, starring Ben Affleck and Matt Damon, Viola Davis, uh, and Jason Bateman. Very exciting. And uh, social, I'm at... John Weinbach on Twitter, J-O-N-W-E-I-N-B-A-C-H, and Instagram at J-B Weinbach, J-B Weinbach, W-E-I-N-B-A-C-H. Thank you for having me. Fantastic. Thanks very much, John. Really appreciate it.